0: How's it going? You know what, Dave? It's going really well. You know, it's not too bad at all. I mean, we actually caught up, didn't we, face-to-face last week, yeah. which was nice because we've been doing these over the distance. So seeing you, you know, at home with your family and while I was doing that mediation course, uh, it took me, it took it out of me. I must admit, doing a full-on, <laughs> I'm not used to nine-to-five, that's what it is, you know. So doing nine-to-five, Monday to Friday in the centre of London um, wiped me out. So I had a good sleep at the weekend, so I feel refreshed and revived. Although my eyes, if people could see my eyes, they, they probably don't say that. They, they look a lot more tired <laughs> than they actually are. But how you been? How was your weekend down oh, in good. Bournemouth?
1: Yeah, I went down to Bournemouth just for a few days away. It was very nice. The weather was pretty windy <laughs> one of the days. Other than that, it's not bad. Not bad weather for September. It's, I know we're obsessed with the weather here in the UK, but um, we do just talk about it. But it. It was a nice, I couldn't complain. But yeah, it was good. good to see the sea my ba- my son got to play in the
0: sand which obviously was a big plus so yeah it was all it was all good all good it's a beautiful part of the world and our guest actually today is from that part of the world ah. yeah, so well uh, you know he he, he has uh he, he's lived down there for a long time he's done a lot of work within coach education coach development down there um so uh it's, it's a great thing to have someone from uk coaching on so uh it's, it's a ex colleague of mine from the fa uh martin dighton uh, he's kindly come on today, and uh, it will be fascinating to hear all about what the future of UK coaching is. Because I know they've got a lot going on at the moment, uh, and so to get some insights of that, but mainly to understand Martin's story and how he's got to where he's got to, and uh, you know, get a little bit of background from him. So, um, what do you think? Should we should we get him on? Yeah, let's let him in. So, yeah. Martin, can you hear us?
2: How you doing, fellas? Nice to Good, see you. Thank you i i i can't deny i did hear the bournemouth link and i, I don't know what you meant about windy it's always perfect down here what, what, what do you mean?
3: <laughs> Yeah,
2: <laughs> as in today it's perfectly cloudy <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but um yeah i do live down in sunny bournemouth it's normally sunny bournemouth yeah i'm, I'm pleased to go on the beach it's the best bit about it, ah. well, it a bril- okay?
1: brilliant linking there by simon
0: actually <sighs> you know he's like a professional isn't he <laughs> <laughs> we won't say professional what though that, that's the thing yeah. we'll keep it polite we'll keep it nice and polite so martin it's, it's brilliant to have you on mate um you know it's, it's been a while since we've had a, a proper catch-up so to be able to do it over this and you know gain some insights into uh your view of the world and you know what you think is important from a career perspective life perspective and you know we do get lots of people come on as sports coaches or with a coaching background, boxing, football, that type of stuff. But I think with you and UK coaching, you cover such a broad range of different sports. It'd be great to get a better understanding of that. So thanks very much for, for coming on today and being willing to share your ideas, mate. Uh, what we always ask the guests is, would you be happy to just share your bio? Uh, and just give us uh, our listeners an insight because we we get lots of young people on who uh, are thinking about careers and things like that so uh giving that sort of uh, perspective is brilliant so where would you like to start how far back are you
2: going to go oh well first thanks for the invite <laughs> really really appreciate the invite um uh, to, to just chat about coaching and stuff mm. so thank you for that um Crikey, so I suppose if I, if I do it, this is what's now, and then I'll go right back to the beginning. So currently, um, yes, I'm at UK Coaching, um, and I'm, I'm, I'm the title's a senior coach developer. It's a bit of a misnomer title. My job is to do a little bit of work directly with coaches, but predominantly to support the workforce that support coaches. Mm-hmm. So coach developers, tutors, assessors, mentors, all people that fulfill versions of those roles. So that's what I do at the moment. Um, still do a bit of coach education on the side for the fa uh, still do a bit of informal coach development as uh, a club uh, a little grassroots club i work down here that every so often we just meet in the pub and talk about coaching and yeah. um, still do a fair bit of one-to-one stuff and also still coach um coaching in a football context so try and get a mix of kind of all the worlds around coaching i'm quite fortunate to get to do that um crikey how far back do i go well i'm, I'm <laughs> going to take a risk right um i'm the eldest of three kids uh i've got a younger sister younger brother um mum and dad had nothing to do with sport whatsoever and i got to the age of nine and i was a fat nine year old if i'm being really honest (laughs) and suddenly it dawned on my parents apparently that um we need to sort this out this boy's not going to turn out that healthy unless we get him active so they sent me swimming um usual stuff learned to swim and all that sort of thing and the next thing was they sent me to football, and and this was with no interest of mine whatsoever. I I didn't have a love for football or anything. They just sent me along to the local, kind of like pay and play type mm. thing that used to exist back in the back in those days, and um and it kind of went from there. Like football took off a little bit. Started you know really got into it. Started to take it a bit a bit more seriously. Um, just something I I'm sure there's there's other parents out there, and this has stuck with me ever since. Never realised it at the time, but since I've got into learning development and all that sort of things it's really come out when i was about oh, 11 or 12 and football was starting to get a little bit more serious i was involved in the local pro club and rep sides and things like that my dad just stopped going down and went, if you ever want to stop you can stop
3: yeah and i remember going
2: you are i am never stopping. him what are you on about and it was <laughs> and honestly now i'm a parent i've got a seven-year-old myself and it and i'll i'll honor that all day long like mm-hmm. he just because he was never trying to live his lost football career through me, it was just completely, look, it's okay. You do what you want to do. Do what makes you happy. And I never really appreciated that at the time because I was a kid. I wouldn't. But now I really appreciate it Um, because it just took pressure off all the time. Um, So, yeah, yeah, playing football um, locally, um, involved in the old centre of excellence they used to be called, which wasn't anything like that. It was like a (laughs) session a week and a match every three months and that sort of thing. Um, And then I went to senior school. And this is where it kind of changed a bit, I think. Um, Went to senior school, and it's Bournemouth. We're all local around here, right? This is Dorset. Everybody knows everybody's cats and (laughs) all that sort of thing. And um, I went to senior school, and the guy, the the PE teachers, sorry, guys, because I now know I was almost friends, but um, the PE teachers were like, well, if you want to play football here, the rule is you have to play every sport. And at the time, I was like, oh, no, I don't want to do that. I just want to play football. And they went, no, 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 that's the rule here. And I, I think I even represented the school in snooker. It got that ridiculous. (laughs) And it was this idea that it it was such a sport-driven school at that time, the five years I had at senior school, where everything was driven by sport. So I got the occasional detention, but if I had a sports match, the detention was written off. Um, There was a sports club where if you you had to represent the school in at least three sports and then be voted on by a committee of your peers and you wore a different tie. You stood out around the school as as somebody who represents the school for sport. And again, didn't know it at the time, but now I look back on it and like, it opened the doors to so much stuff. You know, I, you know, there's not many sports I can't pick up and do all right at. I'm never gonna win, you know, beat the world at any them, But, and it just gave me that of like, what sport can do, you know, times off in the mini bus, trips away, all that kind of social interaction and real good teachers that cared about us having a really good experience of sport. Mm. So that massively stuck. Um, during that time, started coaching the year seven football team alongside a teacher. Again, started to started to realise oh, I quite like this bit of coaching. I knew I was never going to make it as a footballer, kind of always knew. Um, actually, when I got, I got released at 15, I'm going to do the classic. It was because of an injury. Mm-hmm. It wasn't. Um, I just wasn't good enough. And I've never felt such relief. And right. in those days, you didn't get told. You just got a random letter from the club secretary that basically don't come back. <laughs> and that was the best thing ever. I remember my mum and dad like breaking it to me and I just smiled and went, lovely, can I go and play my mates now? It was yeah. that sort of sort of thing. And not sorry, not playing my mates that moment, but that <laughs> player my mates back yeah. into my mates team rather yeah. than this kind of serious world that I used to like struggle with, to be honest, around mm-hmm. how serious it was. So yeah, so like childhood experiences, um sport quite late in our world now, but actually probably about normal back going back 30 years. Um multi-sports at senior school Mm -hmm. non-negotiable loads of experiences around leading and supporting and socializing all that sort of stuff within sport and then already by about the age of 14 or 15 starting to do something along the lines of coaching I'm sure I wasn't but I was helping out and starting to recognize that that looked quite fun then got released um carried on playing football but straight away then started doing a little bit of coaching that we had a friend at the football club sort of family friend at the football club that's probably why I was there for so many years <laughs> um, um, he said well do you want to just come and help out with the, with the little ins and my, my dad was one of those of like well he always saw everything We're like well why not
3: mm. so yeah.
2: off I went on a Monday night at the age of 14 and 15, I was coaching six-year-olds. Um, again, I wasn't coaching, but I thought I was. Yeah. So it kind of went from there. So that, that's the bit, I suppose, that got me into coaching, multi-sport, coaching, the benefits of sport, identity, and all, all that sort of stuff that comes with it. So is that far enough back for you?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it gives me a really wow. lovely context, you know, to what I believe your philosophy is from what, getting to know you. Um, obviously, that will shape as you take us forward and through your journey. But, yeah, I've always in that youth award type of inclusivity that ownership responsibility involving others in the process you know and 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 hearing that multi-sport was obligatory at your school if you wanted to represent the school in any of the sports yeah it really shapes that that sort of vision of that um, ability to play across multiple different levels at a decent level, you know what I mean? Like you say, you're not gonna be a world beater, but it gives you that nice fundamental to be able to go off anything and have that platform for the enjoyment of just playing sports. So yeah, I think it's really good for people who are listening, who might be parents or could be future coaches or children going through secondary school, to get that insight into, you know, that's a really valuable grounding in relation to any sport uh, and being physically active for life you know having yeah. that wide variety of things to dip in and out of um just makes it brilliant you know i used to love that on holidays and things like that oh what we play in here i don't know but yeah. i'll go out and have a go at it and see how i get on so yeah i think that's that's really valuable stuff so where where will you take us next so when did the, you start to formalize things i suppose
2: so um had the classic careers conversations at school what are you gonna do and i don't know but it's gonna to have to be something to do with sport um probably at that point i was still still heavily focused on football as i thought that's where i'm gonna go but over time certainly started to realize that it's, it's not football necessarily i love it's more coaching and sport that i love so um went off to college and um, picked a sports college it was an hour away uh meant train journeys and stuff but it was the sports college so i went there did a level one in all sorts of sports. Uh, did my for anybody out there who's done a junior team manager award, I did my Cruyff turn and passed that. <laughs> That's all you have to do. <laughs> you, just have to you just have to show you could do a trick or a turn or something, and they went, "Yep, yeah, you'll make a good coach." So I did that um did, yeah netball, tennis, all sorts, um, and and did some like junior sports leaders quals, which I love. Still like a really positive memory of going to the local primary school and coaching kids. Uh, even at, you know I was, I'm I'm a I'm an august boy so even at, you know 16 17 at college I'm, i was coaching kids in the school absolutely loved it um on the side still playing playing like local 18s and adult leagues and stuff like that as you do it that sort of mm. age and then um was yeah starting to coach around Bournemouth football club again so again it was it was a different world then but center of excellence so i i had an age group that i would i'd do some work with um, normally the younger ones so like nines tens elevens, something like that and then was doing some bits on the side for their community program um, and then again a bit like school didn't really have a plan just kind of like I'll see what I can pick up along the way and um, the plan was to at the end of college to take a year out and go to uni but if I'm really honest and honest with my parents I never really wanted to go to uni I wanted to take a year out to get a job in sport um, and I came out of college and weird timing happened the again a different world 20 plus year, yeah 20ish years ago but the community program at Bournemouth was was tiny, and the person who had been leading it had just left. Hmm. And I was around the club, and the new people at the club, and they went, "Would would you look after it for a couple of months? This this eighteen year old who's never really earned a proper dollar in his, in his life, would you would you lead a community program?" I went, "Yeah, go on then, why not?" Um, and I knew it was never going to be a permanent thing. The new community officer eventually came in like four or five months later, and I was really fortunate. He said, "Look, I'd like you to stay," and, and so I, I became an assistant community officer which was brilliant because it was just coaching mm. all day every day like and you could go from I don't know coaching a school in the morning to coaching an um uh an old people's home in the afternoon to doing some work in a disability uh, like after school club and then going on doing something with more deliberate players like excellent you know, mm-hmm. and that that would be an average day boys girls you know Older, younger, disability, not, and, and all sorts. It was, and again, at the time, probably found it a little frustrating at times, but it was back mm. to the thing like senior school. It was the variety. I was learning to coach through all these different, I remember going to school with 30 kids, bit of a challenging class. Like, mm. oh, what the hell do I do with 30 kids? I'm used to having like 10 or 12. What, what do I do? And very quickly realizing that motivation is, is like absolutely key. If we don't understand motivational, not I don't quite believe in getting people motivated. It's more around mm. into their motivation. Only when you do that do you actually survive. Otherwise, you get eaten alive. Um, there's one one kid. I uh, still remember him. We were probably year four. I'm trying to get him to play some like little tag games. We were doing. He went, I don't like football. Okay, fair enough. What do you like? He went motocross. what i like (laughs) yeah motorbike. right okay so we had a quick chat on the side like about do you ever fall off And yeah yeah all the time so important to be quite well balanced for motocross yeah yeah really important well this game we're doing now is about uh, just recognizing that if i tune into what is important to him i've got a chance that he might want to come and enjoy what i'm doing over here and that Mm. i think i learned that uh, probably implicitly you know learn it by actu- you know, by accident by by default rather than actually by design that all kids want to do sport deep down as long as you do it in a in a way that meets their needs rather than mm-hmm. just assuming we can take this adult version of sport and say right come and do this so that's always stuck mm-hmm. so yeah that was sort of college into work um yeah do you want me to keep going <laughs>
0: yeah yeah. I, yeah I mean i don't know if dave's got any observations at the moment that he'd like to make uh,
2: no
1: i'm not i'm enjoying this
0: yeah carry
1: on i just uh, what college did you go to actually that, that was
2: brockenhurst brockenhurst college in the new forest so, so I'm not the, <laughs> my,
1: my brother went there as well actually ah. that's what i was asking ah. and the with the and this probably for anyone that doesn't know the area of Brockenhurst. You've got a constant battle of fighting the ponies from getting into the into the college, which which makes it sound
3: like
1: I don't know, like something out of the Hobbit or something. And, and,
2: <laughs> and when they when they do get on the pitch, it's an interesting job you've got to do before kick off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, nest and again, just just a, a proper sports place, they did everything in the sports so every break time, all that sort of yeah opportunity to to just experiment with sport and coaching was was awesome. But yeah into work eventually that that role at sort of Bournemouth became more full-time more permanent um and again was just coaching all day every day and probably moaned at the time you know doing seven day Mm. weeks and all this you know every hour of the day and I've probably been in that football stadium at every hour within the 24 hour clock at at varying points but looking back on it it was like the best thing for me it was Mm. it was learning non-stop and also other stuff like learning how to deal with with other adults, you know, coaches, managing coaches, getting into the right place at the right time, making sure they're doing a good job, starting to develop them, starting to notice opportunities where there might be a chance to help them get a little bit better at what they were doing, and dealing with difficult conversations when you've got to challenge a coach about their practice. So, yeah, five years I was at Bournemouth, and it was hard, but it was also like brilliant in terms mm. of what it what it led to. And then, I suppose the aim, I think I've never really been one for aims and this is where i want to go i've always kind of like let's see what opportunities come maybe i've been fortunate with that but there was an aim at that point of one day i'd like to work for national governing body Hmm. um i don't really know why to be honest i just (laughs) had this aim that i'd quite like to work for the fa and could never really see a route in until they started something called the fa tesco skills program yeah i know si you you were around and about around those times yeah, I applied for
0: a role in Middlesex with Nick Levitt and that.
3: Yeah, uh, yeah.
0: I, I, yeah, there was a, a rail strike on that day. So I cycled 21 miles to the interview oh. across <laughs> London and back uh, and got pied. Oh, oh, sorry, <laughs>
3: yeah.
2: wish I'd mentioned it now. Uh. No, no, you
0: know, like you say, it's all learning, isn't it? It's, yeah. you know, when people talk about what you're willing to do, well, I didn't know they were going to strike. They striked on that day. You can't get buses across London because yeah. it would take forever. So I had to cycle it, you know, Brixton to Mill Hill, um, you know, so it was raining and you turn up damp rat, you think, oh God. And then you got to put a session on for kids. Like you said, here in a school setting, we've a lot of work at Fulham. When I was at Fulham with Richard Blair. So you might know Richard yeah, as part yeah. of that, um, you know, so I, I could do the role, but you know, someone had already been doing it so they were going to just in, employ from within which is fair enough i just wish they told me before i cycle 21.1 <laughs> <I'm back. laughs>
3: right, uh, sorry that, mate yeah go on so yeah, the well, that,
2: that's interesting because um i that was what was that about 20 what was i 22 some somewhere around there so again really naive to the world and that was my first interview so i yeah. go in i'm sat there with um with les howie who he, yeah. i know you're yeah. almost like uh, you know, big big guy around around football in this country and, and wider than this country i didn't really know who he was i'm also sat the chief exec of dorset fa Sue Hoff, and and I, I i was terrible absolutely terrible in, in the interview and i remember coming out well that was a waste of time but i don't know if, I don't know if it was the same in middlesex it was interview in the morning as in the formal bit in the afternoon go and do some coaching with some local kids mm, yeah so the fact i i, I like just dived in the interview actually freed me up to just go on coach this afternoon. What's the worst that can happen? Um, and I think all the stuff I've just been saying those experiences of coaching, all these different groups of kids or different groups of people in so many different environments. And and also in the community setting, you, you don't necessarily get the regularity. So you have to be really good at building relationships with with kids really quick. Mm. And I, I I don't take lights it, but I, I smashed the practical bit of it. I had these kids eating out the palm of my hand in, in a minute and I think that's what probably got me the role. It certainly wasn't the formal interview bit where I, I just sort of went um and uh for about yeah. forty-five minutes. But um, yeah, so that that led to the skills program, and again, didn't really know what I was getting into at the time. But that that I think became a bit of the, the test bed for all. You mentioned the youth award earlier, but the, the yeah. test bed for all this idea of what child-centered, child-first. It was those words were starting to come into football a little bit. Of what what this idea of what that looks like and you know, what is coaching for children. Um and I loved it because mm. it was all around just helping children holistically. You know, we go into schools and we'd be we'd be linking school sessions to what they were doing in maths and English and, and you know they come and see it at a skill center the evening stuff and there was never any selection. It was just if you want to play you can play and and again finding ways to manage groups, manage behavior positively deal with motivations that, that can be radically different deal with pressure from parents it was just a real variety um and and loved it you know i I'd, mm-hmm. I'd, I'd coach all day if i if i could if there was the role there and you know the, the finance because that's the subject often they yeah. don't align um mm-hmm. I, like amazing job and yeah look back on it and go that was fantastic just you know go to school in the morning coach three classes work with the teacher go to another one in the afternoon and in the evening go and coach with the, again a little more deliberate players that wanted to to experience more it was fantastic and, and it was during that that I started to do we, we used to have like a club strand where we go and work with local charter standard clubs mm-hmm. and it was the first bit where I maybe slightly formally started working with other coaches and I suppose back then again not knowing any different and having no kind of frameworks to fall back on or no experience I would always go to show well I'll take the session let me show you and then could never even then work out why the coach would ring me up the following week. Said, yeah, I tried doing that, but it didn't work. Yeah, um, but it was the first bit that got me thinking about actually, I quite like helping coaches too. Mm-hmm. Um, and then some managers I had around the time, um, uh, a guy Tony McCallum, and again, you, you know, so yeah. I was our regional yeah. manager, got me to like come along, come have a look at a couple of courses I'm running in the area. And then it was uh Jack Walton who um, went, Why don't you deliver some? Like if you're coming along you're gonna you're gonna do rather than watch Mm -hmm. and that um that gave me the same kick as working with kids the same bit of like light bulbs going off with coaches going ah that makes that's why they do that um gave me the same buzz and it was ah actually i I quite i quite like this too Mm -hmm. yeah kind of going through and i suppose the other bit that i was fortunate with you mentioned the youth award i I think the youth award was completely game-changing yeah and that was the coach education I got involved with. It wasn't your traditional level ones, twos, and and up, which is now, when I look back on it, probably probably struggled with it a little bit at the time in mean, some of my experiences as a coach education as a coach. So on my, I mentioned my junior team manager on my level two, um, it was raining, so the assessor sat in his car, he drove his car up next to the pitch, opened his window <laughs> a crack, and um, <laughs> and then after your coach like beckoning you over and tell you whether you passed or failed, and like I just what's this all about? This is rubbish. You know, again, but not knowing any different. Yeah. UA for, B, on my UA for B, one of the tutors tried to sell us the course notes with a suggestion you'd pass if you buy it off him. Nice. Like, it's just yeah. like, and and that, that was the traditional route, but the youth award always felt completely different. It wasn't mm. about pass or fail. It wasn't about conforming. It was about simply trying to help coaches to work mm. out what was going on and, and how they might manage the situations better. So loved it. And yes, yeah, so that was kind of my first step into actually delivering a bit of, bit of coach education as it as it was then um so yeah where'd it go from there so his coach education got bigger yeah Uh, for me um start and it was very much still coach education at that point it was delivering courses i was probably always doing little bits on the side with coaches you know conversations ah can you pop down and give me a hand and all that sort of stuff as i'd probably term coach development but predominantly it was coach education and i was fortunate that jack moved on and i was in the right place at the right time to jump into his role so Coach education became the full time, full time role then, which was ironic because the, the nature of the job made it really hard to coach. Yeah. To find time. I know you've been in a similar role, Sai. actually it makes it difficult for you to stick to what you're true to and actually have I think it's really important that as educators mm-hmm. we're really authentic. And yeah. I struggle with that a little bit. Um so yeah, that became a regional role. And then Sai, you came and joined the team when we restructured and went into um, into a county based setup. Yeah,
0: yeah. So I changed from mashup, where I was dealing with older teenage kids, the ones who dropped out of the game and trying to get them back into the game in informal routes. And I think there was a bit of a a clash at some of the top of the people at the FA. You know, they thought they were going to get a load of money to do something for kids dropping out at the elite end. Um, So there was a bit of friction there. Um, So when that programme came to an end, because no one really took any sort of ownership of it, it was great that those county coach developer roles came available and the coach ed becomes, um, yeah, that more bespoke in in the county, accessible at times, you know, that people want courses in formats that they want them. Um, I think that was a, a real, really good key uh, change um, and uh, would have liked to have seen it go a little bit longer. I think we all would have done to see exactly the impact of that reality based learning and what could have happened beyond You know that short period of testing um but you know these things happen in life and you go in different directions um so my my um, career has definitely gone in different directions since then that's for sure um you know so the coach ed stuff and the coach development is is quite challenging now you know i find that i'm volunteering at a local club just to keep the tool sharp um to be on the grass and working with coaches because delivering two courses a year it's just not sufficient to, you know, be in front of people and, and make sure that you're you're up to speed. So uh, yeah, I've got a good local club, quite a big club, um, and there's lots of coaches there are open and you can go down there and offer some advice or support and, you know, still get that buzz from doing it and seeing people go, actually, it's not just benefiting me, it's benefiting the children and the players that I'm trying to support uh, to understand this game and play it better. Um, because I think that there's still a vital role for coach developers To try and help navigate that space because it's quite difficult for them, especially when they come in as beginners and they don't really know too much about the football side or players, and they're desperate to learn and learn and anything that will help them and uh, just shape that with them, I think is something that's quite important. So, yeah, uh, it was great being part of that team.
2: It's a bit, it's a similar, it's a bit of a theme for me. Like, I didn't know how good it was at the time. So you look back now, the model we had, I know it was difficult in some parts of the country just because of scale. Yeah, I remember a mm. colleague trying to, trying to do this in Birmingham, was was tricky, but for me in Dorset, I I knew every coach after a couple of years. I'd, I'd seen them come through some sort of qualification. So suddenly we were doing, so we, we always said when it, it was a bit, our, our title County Coach Developer was always a bit strange mm. because we were doing coach education but because we were doing so much coach education, we were doing coach development by accident. Mm. Sometimes by design, but mainly by accident. So, for example, I go and do, you know, reality-based, just mentioned, an in-situ visit with a level two coach on a Sunday afternoon with, with his, or, his or her players. And on the pitch next door, I know the other coach. So I can have a conversation there. And, and the, op- the opposing coach, I can actually set up some little um, like scenario-based learning, because I know both coaches. We can play around with stuff together. It's safe to explore and mm. experiment. And you know, we used to have networks, I used to have WhatsApp groups coming out of ears of coaches that were interested in this or interested in that. And you, it was, it was a, I think that's the biggest challenge for now I'm UK coaching, looking at this broader across other NGBs. The biggest challenge is having the local intelligence, the local mm. networks, coaching. And there's, there's research out there. And we've just had some stuff done around caring coaching. Coaching, especially in community grassroots, is lonely disconnected and often pretty isolated i think we were starting to to deal with some of that certainly not solve it but we were starting to manage some of those challenges for coaches i I don't know about you but a monday morning would come and you'd have you'd always every week you'd have a couple of phone calls from a coach where something had happened at the weekend and they weren't quite sure how to deal with it or they just wanted to talk something through or they just thought can you connect me to so and so i think that was the power of our role yes we were educating coaches but we were actually supporting them properly.
0: Yeah. yeah and I think those communities of practice were starting to evolve mm. um, and that's the that is the big thing that was a shame uh, because you were just starting to get these networks in pockets across counties where people were connected and sharing ideas via WhatsApp or other means uh, but also we could facilitate a bit of it but then also empower them to take ownership and you know run with it and go you know what's important for us as a group of people how do we share this information uh, and that collaboration was quite powerful in a way i think uh, for those coaches at those times
2: we were getting towards not completely but we were getting towards a more bespoke approach to coach learning so Mm. if i had a coach who um quite likely i've seen one level one they've gone off and done some coaching they've come to a couple of cpd events i've done they've stayed in the loop like you know some did more than others they come and do level two i come out and visit them a couple of times with their their players i know their team i know their environment i know where the coach what what coaching looks like to them and then they start talking about UA for B now that was great you just well why don't you come along and have a look at a day then got a course in a couple of weeks just come and come and see come see what you think and Mm. it it was that we could start to within still a relatively confined structure we were starting to bespoke things we're starting to go look I know you so well that on block two of level two I'm deliberately going to put you in this group with these other coaches so you get to explore this Mm. and that's where we've got to go in coach education there's um a colleague of mine up at sheffield hallam a guy called damien kingsbury he talks about coach education isn't coach education because in coach education it's it's there's at least some form of differentiation he thinks across the wider coach education across multiple sports it's just coach training everybody gets the same Mm -hmm. service and we just we just shove them through compare belt. and yeah we were getting a little closer to actually starting to meet the needs i know we were having quite radical ideas at the time around why don't we let people build their own course mm, now, here's mm. five five sections that are mandatory it might be something around safeguarding and safe to practice and uh, understanding your beliefs around why you coach and that sort of stuff but the other 10 you choose yeah so if you coach under 19s in a performance environment go here if you coach under eights down the local park go here and and we were starting mm. to we we're starting to get towards this idea of what what does coach development actually look like um and some sports are playing around with it now, getting a little closer to it. But yeah, it, we were getting close to it then. I think that's the bit that frustrates me most. We were getting towards something really good. Yeah. My worry is we needed to increase our resource, not shrink it. We, we needed more on the ground mm. because it was becoming unsustainable for staff to actually manage that that load. But yeah, um, yeah we were going in a good direction.
0: And I think that personalised the bespoke bit where you knew someone was ready for the next stage. Mm. You know, I, I don't know if you still get messages now, but every UA for B application um, period, yeah. I, I get so many messages from coaches saying, what do I need to do to get on this course? I've been applying for two to three years. And you go, I just, I, I don't know what you need to do. I'm sorry. I'd love to support you. It's a different process now where before we knew if that guy had come and observed your are UA for B, and saw it, and you said to them, do you think you could do that? Could you step up with our support? You know, you you would help them transition in. Um, you know, and it, it, with the inclusivity bit, we can then factor in more female coaches, people from different uh, demographics, and start to go, well, let's support everyone. You know, how do we do that? Um, and like you say, that was a frustration where it was just like, we're, we're on the cusp of something quite powerful mm-hmm. here, and um, we've just pulled right back from it. Um, You know, and things have changed and coaches within my county are finding certain elements frustrating just because they want that next step of education. And they're in the semi-professional game and they they think, well, I want to formalise some more of this. I want to, you know, get my teeth into this type of project approach and, you know, go from there. Uh, and they're just not being able to access that at the moment and i think this is where people are going overseas or to uh, wales or scotland because they're saying well actually accessibility seems a bit easier um in those other places dave any thoughts on that
1: well i was going to pick up on that um we spoke a few weeks ago to someone else who'd they're going through the process in wales um also from dorset actually but you talk about uh where at Shaftesbury wasn't he um yeah. So, so yeah it, it, it is that a common thing then you're seeing in that I suppose your experience was with the the FA or the English FA as some people might not know it as are people going elsewhere to get their qualifications because it's just so difficult to get on board with with what the FA are doing I suppose
2: I think I think they always have to be honest I think there's always been a bit of that mate I I, I don't know if more are doing it now um I mean you can almost see on social media every time the a license um decisions are made and ua for b now that um yeah i there's always the bit of me it goes that if you if tesco sold out of apples it would get more apples <laughs> yeah you know, right. there's always that bit of it like but then I, I i understand that some people believe that no we need to hold standards and, and things yeah. like that and I don't quite get. I think there's a wider bit, to, there's a cultural society bit to it as well, though. This obsession with next qualification, mm. and we have to realise that that being too controversial. You don't get much learning on a course, mm. yeah. right? Yeah. It really football. Now I look across multiple sports, and I've, I've got more into like the history of where coach education comes from. So, Coach Ed was written at a time where we were coming out of Second World War and army um, structure, uh, almost imagine what PE was like at that sort of time. That was where coach education came out of. It was a social construct based on the military. Hmm. And I don't think we've quite shaken that off, really. So courses are still about a badge. Are people still them badges for God's sake? When did that stop? Yeah. Like, so it, they're about a moment in time where somebody hmm. has the power to put a ticker across next year now. If we really strip it back, that's what they are. Now we certainly, with the Youth Award and with the way the courses went after the Youth Award, we, we tried to get away from that. We tried to worry less about the competencies, more about the development. But for the majority of sports, coach education is actually an assessment process, mm. not a learning process. And that's why I think we've got to be really careful people just wanting to go for the next bit, just because it's the next one. Um, there's a lot of things going on at the moment around um, Simspur, so Charter Institute, um, for around sport and physical activity to say that you should be chartered as you would be in other sectors. Hmm. So we get away from maybe this, especially in football, that I can't really earn any money until I get to UA for B. So it's just a chase to get to UA for B. Whereas wouldn't it be good if we just had coaches that went, I've got my qualification that allows me to practice, so I'm safe to practice as some coach. Uh, organizations or ngbs would call it now i can go away and just create a learning program for me Mm. and that's fine and i'll have support to do it from an ngb so that might be more of a distance or in an ideal world i'll have support from a coach developer who's going to help guide my action plan or my my learning where i want to go Mm. and explore Mm. and, and a coach developer that networks me and connects me into things rather than being the one who holds all the keys you know it's similar like if you go if you go to buy a car now, who knows more about the car, the person selling it or the person buying it? Like it's yeah, not the person yeah. buying it. We do our research, right? Well, it's probably the same with coaching. Everything's out there. Like we've got chat GPT. I asked it to write a session plan for me the other day, and it wasn't bad. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. so is it maybe the role of coach education and coach development? Because I, I think they're separate. I, I see the two very different. Coach education is courses, qualifications, formal. Coach development is the coaches, the syllabus. I'm just here to help you get better in what you want to get better at. I think they're at the minute so I'm doing flipping visual on a podcast, but they're, they're, they're too they're, they're too far <laughs> apart. Actually, what we need to aim at in the future is them being together. So I have a coach developer that at varying periods of time goes, yep, you've ticked off the next criteria, you're qualified at this level now, but it's not on a one-stop on a course with with athletes you've never met before in a completely false environment, or even worse, with coaches who are running around for you. It's in a real world because we have a real relationship and you're ongoing. Mm. Um, I was at a, a coaching course for an NGB a few weeks ago and it was a 10 minute assessment at the end of the course. Uh, they call them um, coach developers, or I would argue their tutor assessors, coach educators. Um, at the 10 minute assessment, the coach developer was looking at the tick sheet for seven minutes. So now that's not their fault. That's the structure that's built around them that mm. they had to spend seven minutes out of the 10 writing, three minutes out of the 10, watching i is that is that really coach learning i'm not i'm not sure Crazy, it?
0: it becomes perfunctory um, all you do is you just go through the process of i've got to make sure this person shows me you know going back to the old army days socks pulled up shirt tucked in yeah. presentation mm. of
2: self have you done a demo yes or no <laughs> whether it's right yeah. to do a le- demo yeah. is irrelevant it <laughs> just did you do it, one <laughs> it's
1: like the extended parade ground really isn't yeah. it at the yeah. end of the day nuts
2: yeah so uh, it's easy i suppose it's easy to sit here and criticize the system we're part of the system we are the system too we're all in this world the bit that's always tricky is for many coach education is a cash cow so again it's the society bit of it going i just want my next qualification that's the coach's motivations for not all but but a significant amount and then there's the ngb going well we have to we have to show governance we have to show that we are you know, we are running our sport correctly, but there's also the bit that it makes us. There's not all sports, a of fun, but some yeah. sports <laughs> makes us good money. And why would we change? And maybe the people that want to change don't have the power within the organisation to bring about the change because they don't hold the purse strings. Mm. So there feels there's a lot of conflict around coach learning at the moment. There's a lot of people I think in the system that want to change it, and but there's there's quite a few that maybe aren't completely directly in the system that are holding it from changing yeah um
1: both of you have obviously had experience with the fa here in the uk uh, in england sorry specifically um how you were saying obviously about organizations not wanting to shall we say cut their nose off to spite their face someone like the fa you know what i'm not asking obviously for exact figure but the revenue they make out of education and and courses like that is it a sizable chunk of their income
2: do you think now it's, it's all relative. So for an organization such as the FA, well, 800 odd employees, yeah? The mm. mat- but then for a smaller sport that might only have, I, I can—I won't name, but I can picture one who have four full-time employees, um, it's still a massive chunk for them. It's all relative. Yeah. Yeah. The bit we might need to flip, and again, I know it's far easier to talk about than do, I speak to the people in this world all the time, is we need to look at it differently. Coach education is an investment in the people that run our sport. And if we don't invest in them and support them, they leave. Mm. So we used to know at the FA that we, we – I remember doing the maths with Tony McCallum. We needed roughly 8,000 new Level 1 coaches every year in England for the churn, but also for to bulk up the next under-8s. So you mm. what I mean? Mm. We used to run 25,000 coaches through Level 1. So we never – we never fill the hole. We never fill the hole in the bucket. We just keep pouring in. Yeah. So maybe if we flip the model, where we we looked at a more of a membership model, as mm. a coach and as an athlete or player in football case, and then we supported you. So we take we do the money generation through membership. The learning is then free. So, I mean, it's a bit of a conflict, isn't it? Like, yeah, we want you to get better, but we're going to charge you for it. Mm. So again, very difficult to actually do, and would take mass societal change to even enable it. There's also of course that angle somebody might be sitting there going well when something's free it's often lacking value but it is that changed we let's if we need to bring money into the sport let's do it through maybe a membership structure and actually then we just help people get better within that membership structure might be a better way to go
0: yeah and and when we had gary Piggott on recently we were discussing you know working the big clubs so if i'm in my local club ramsgate and i'm in there every Monday then why shouldn't I just be signing off coaches when I see that they're reaching the acquired standard? If I then go up the road to Margate and do that on a Tuesday night, do the same. And then I ripple out and then someone else will. So we're getting that coverage where we know as trusted individuals who are invested in coach development and supporting these coaches through, we're recognised as... I know when to sign someone off as meeting the required standard. They don't need to go to a course because some of them are desperate to get on courses, but they haven't got the time to take out of their working day to then access these courses uh, and get the balance off with family. So if you can do it in a more informal, formal way, it allows them um, that flexibility, that adaptability. There's no time pressures, constraints on it. And you can go, you know what? Let's just work through this together and you support people through and you can put CPD events on and things for parents as well within those environments. And, uh, you know, share that ethos uh, across the club. And you're that consistent. You know, I live in Kent. You live in Dorset. You're going to you're not going to move. Usually you're not going to change a great deal. So you can be that ever present there um, and just be able to be recognized as that network connector but also not just in that locale, but reaching out further and and just um, helping people take on some new concepts and just go, have you considered this? You know, what would be the value to you of this? Have you wanted to try something new? Uh, Because they do form into that um, rigid, oh, we've got to do this, I've got to do that. And Once they experience that difference, like we said about the Youth Awards, that different approach of going oh wow this is so refreshing all of a sudden their shifting mentality is this is what player development should be and you still get feedback now from those people who came through with us um, on them around you know that was my favorite course i was speaking to a mum at there and she said oh you know you came onto my course many years ago when richard mm-hmm. was doing x and uh, i loved that course it was my favorite course ever and you think that was 10 years ago that she's referencing there and it still resonates with her now. So you think, well, if that had that impact, why did we get rid of? So it is just baffling. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on that then? Because it, it, it's great to get insights from your coach developer, you know, especially with the hat you're wearing at UK Coaching now and the direction that you as an organisation are trying to bring people with you. Because that's what it feels like to me it was like UK coaching are trying to bring NGBs along with them and share and collaborate, um, you know, in a more inclusive
2: way. I suppose the first bit's what you said there. That my mind was going wild with some bits. So just be, let's be really disruptive. What if we got rid of levels in coach education? What would that mm. do? Yeah. So That might bring something. What if we went a level up or a layer up, might be a better word, not level, um, layer up and... The NGB staff supported coach developers on the ground mm. in clubs like that. So we, we have a train the trainer trainer almost level. Yeah. Um, what if there was far more trust? So yes, we're always going to need for governance, for safeguarding, for safety. We're going to need a minimum safe to practice, you know, insurance that ensures all the sports are not going to accept people just out there getting signed off by random people. But, but there's a sport at the moment that are playing around with it, safe to practice, and from then on build your coaching qualifications hmm. or build, not even qualifications just build your learning so that when you go for a job you don't say i've got level three or whatever the, the term is in that sport you go here's my cv of what i've learned and do, and give me a proper interview like let me coach or come even better come and see me coach yeah with my with my athletes and suddenly we, we're getting away and and i think i can't i can't remember the, the bit that you made me think of it when you just said this i si, but we talk all the time around being player centered child centered athlete centered mm. yet nothing is coach centered yeah so at what point uh, coaches are not going to get that they need to be athlete centered until they are treated in a coach centered manner mm. and and that's i think the bit where coach development can start to have a greater effect so to lead on to your questions around uk coaching so i suppose we're quite fortunate we we have some funding that comes in from different places sport england uk sport things like that there is a part of the business that has a commercial element to it as well but we are quite fortunate especially in our team the coaching team that we can we can try stuff we can play around with things um the other massive usp is there's less you'll never get rid of it completely but there's less of a power dynamic so when i go to watch a swimming coach I know nothing about swimming. So we don't get into X's and O's, and you know, mm. we get into coaching. We get into behaviors and manners and interactions and relationships and, and things like that. So we we run some coach development programs. Um, we there there's loads of different versions of them. There's there's one where it's done in like little small action set, action learning sets, little communities of practice with a coach developer to support that. There's some that are more one-to-one with some structure. Uh, And then the one that we're working on at the moment, is called Explore, where literally the coach comes on and they get paired with a coach developer. And then the first question is, so what do you want to explore in your coaching? Mm. So I'm working with a couple of coaches at the moment around trying to just navigate where they want to go. And and that's interesting because for many, that's really hard. They almost need a handrail Mm. because, again, they've been socially conditioned through education and coach education that, no, you're told what you need to learn you don't get to choose. So it's quite interesting. All the stuff we've talked about so far about getting rid of the levels and building your own quals. Coaches would need help with that, certainly initially. But that's quite interesting when you give people freedom, autonomy. Like, where do you Mm. want to go? How do you want to explore that? So we run some programs like that. Um, We we share a lot of our findings from that with NGBs and partners, organizations, things like that. And there is definitely some shifting going on. So a sport I've been working with recently, have just set up their own version of those coach development programs within their sports. so people are starting to realise there's some change. Um, I think the barriers are: um, how do we how do we finance it, or how do we how do we work out profit and or mm. loss from it? And then the biggest bit I think people struggle with is how do we measure it? Because we can't just say we've now got fifty level three coaches. Mm. We, we've now got fifty people that have been for a coach development program. How do you measure what success looks like? So there's a lot of discussion around confidence and competence, mm. but self-assessed. Uh, there has been some more negative review of it. You know, somebody has said that they just come back and they use bigger words. There's no change in their coaching. So that's interesting <laughs> as well. Um, but I, I certainly I'm from the camp based on you know the experiences we were just talking about that generally, if you trust people to find their own way with a bit of support, they normally do okay whether that's a kid learning a new sport or a coach trying to get better at being a coach.
0: Have you ever come across the work of Mark Upson? Yes. Yeah. So, Uppy, he, he um, we had a guest on recently, Kelly Cross, who's the academy manager at Sydney FC um, down in Australia. And what they use is narrative. So mm-hmm. how do you compile your narrative of your development journey? So players will go through it and they will identify where I've um, developed through my journey. Um, within the club. Coaches do the same. So with Uppy, it is a case of storytelling is quite a big part of how he sees, you know, life and how we help youngers and olders and that learn from each other, that collaborative approach. So how do you then document that So google drive this is my interaction with the coach developer this is my personal reflections this is the video so you need a robust platform to be able to keep that but that becomes that person's you know personal narrative around their story and linking back to what you said around um, the coach choosing i use chat gpt to create a profile wheel around caring confidence competence character etc the ones that i'm interested in give me 10 things here that someone would have so bang i then send that to a coach what do you already do what would you like to add where would we like to spend some time adding that value what does that look like for you in your context with your age group and then the coaches already start to recognize i've already got quite a lot of good attributes on this profile wheel and then that profile wheel can be shaped for them Mm -hmm. that's just a template for them to adjust and move to But then they go, right, I would like to add that. Okay, how will we do it? What does that look like practically, logistically? How can I give you support? What will you do? And then that conversation, that narrative that we're talking about starts to come out of that where they start to then just have conversations around, well, I really want to build better connections with my players. I think I'm better at this, but I want to add more of that element. Okay, let's focus on that then. Let's see if you can develop that from informal conversations, but also connecting them to practice and what they do on the the field with you. So then they start to go, right, I can shape that learning, like you say, where they go, well, this is important to me. I'm invested in it. I'm motivated and I want to make sure that I try my best to implement it. But recognize that it's a process and it will take me a bit of time. I'm not going to, you know, nail it straight away. Um, But that takes a mentality shift from them to go, actually, this person is alongside me to help me. They're not there um, to critique and uh, knock me back and say, yeah, I I would have passed you, but your socks weren't pulled up and you didn't mention health and safety at the start. Um, (laughs) So I I think, yeah, it's great to, to hear that those things are happening and they are getting a little bit more embedded in places. But it's pockets, isn't it? What do you think, Dave?
1: I, I, uh, obviously, I, as a bit of an outsider on this, obviously my contact with this is through you, Simon, a lot of the time. Yeah. The one thing that I always kind of come back to, especially with football, but I suppose it's another thing in other sports is obviously we you were saying about um, rejigging or, or overhauling how that, that training or that education is provided. Do you still think, though, that especially with football, but as I say, it could be other sports, is there still a barrier to people that haven't, if you like, played that sport at a high level getting into, you know, becoming a coach in many of the sports in this country? Or is it, I don't know, is this an issue in other countries as well? Or is it an issue? I don't know. I know there's a lot of people that are not as involved in coach education and coaching that probably think this but it'd be good to get your take is is that an issue i suppose
2: uh good question for many spots i don't think it can be an issue because the pyramid is so big at the bottom yeah um i used to be uh, probably because i didn't play at a high level but i used to be quite annoyed about it i'd see an ex-pro suddenly get a job somewhere and you <laughs> kind of, i've softened over the years and kind of gone well it's how the world works yeah. They probably have got some really good experiences, but it's going to be yeah. quite specific. It's going to be quite mm. tech tact. It's going to be a, a particular level of the game. Um, I think sports are getting better at realising they need to be far more open to far more mm. people. So, I mean, the FA started uh, was it Playmaker, isn't it? The Activator, as an example, a few years back, and that has opened up opportunities. The other bit is, we got if we went back to this idea of coach education being a bit more coach-centered and coaches building their own learning or even the governing bodies having a variety of routes and um, hockey have done some quite cool stuff it's a menu and you pick where you want to go on the menu mm-hmm. and maybe that would be far more helpful because I, yeah, I remember the days of a level one you'd have a local non-leaguer who's played 500 games in the Wessex league and a, and a dad who just wanted to step in because nobody else would you know and that's great that they get to meet each other but they probably need quite different things too yeah uh, and a different route and a different level of support but um yeah i mean there are barriers to sport we can we've only got to look at the white review and, and other things that have gone on there are plenty of barriers still to sport that need changing coach ed could be part of that answer i suppose and um, i think more
0: On the football side there are people getting more opportunities as well though i always think of the guy ipswich he was at man united but he's only a young lad i don't think he played elite level football um but now he's a first team manager so there are more opportunities you do have to have a hundred percent commitment desire motivation be Hmm. in and around it um you know and sacrifice a lot, which I think anyone who gets to the the real top end of the game has to do anyway. I don't think there is that difficulty as much as there used to be, um, as, as someone who never played, to get opportunities. There are those opportunities. You do have to seek them out and you do have to be in and around the right place at the right time. You know, Martin's outlined that he was quite fortuitous in some of the things that he's found through his journey, but also linking it back to his dad's philosophy of why not try it, see what happens, go with the flow. You know, almost that film, Yes Man, isn't it, where you go, you know what, I'll say yes and see what happens. I think putting yourself in those positions does give you that opportunity. Um, But I also see a lot of people disappointed because they think there's blockers out there. But I think personal capacity is, all right, if I'm really determined to overcome it, how do I apply myself to overcome it?
2: Um, there's a balance as well though um i mentioned the white review there around like self-care too so Mm. this narrative that you have to work all hours you have to say yes to absolutely everything volunteer yourself everywhere to get opportunities and i know i've talked about me doing that earlier on so i'm cautious to say it but now looking at it from a different perspective it's a bit of a dangerous narrative Mm. around this idea that i mean when it came out arteta didn't it a few months ago saying no i go home at seven o'clock to see my kids and it was like well, you can't say that. Like you're you're paid millions of pounds to be a manager of a Premier League club. Like no, no, that's important. And what a what a message that sends to others too. But yeah, so there's a balance to be struck somewhere. Of also around picking, trying, trying to pick good opportunities, trying to work out when there might be nothing here and I'm going to spend my time somewhere else. Yeah, um, appreciate easier to say than do though.
1: Mm. I'd spe- I was reading at the weekend about. Um golf in terms of some of the coaches that operate in the golfing world now obviously to make it at the highest level there it's a smaller po- i suppose it, it's a smaller pool to operate in but some of the people that have actually shall we say cut through in that world don't come from a massively golf focused background it seems to be that it's it, i think with golf especially not just with coaching but with the equipment and everything like that if you're offering something that's gonna uh, i suppose create a difference or improve performance or bring in more money in terms of earnings the golfers themselves are pretty open to changing you know coaches changing equipment things like that but i digress slightly but some of the coaches that have broken through as i say come from different backgrounds um and some of the things they do offer have actually you know had real impact on world-class golfers do you i don't know how familiar you are with the golfing world but is there i suppose a model say what happens in golf that could be replicated i suppose in other sports that you're familiar with like obviously football jumps to hand but i suppose it's it's an attitude of people bring new ideas to the table the fact they've never played professional golf or even some of them there's one guy that's never played golf in his life but he works with some of the top fifty golfers in the world on some of the ideas around movement, things like that. Do you think we'd ever get to a stage like that with football where you have these sort of innovators coming through?
2: It's I think it's starting to happen. Um, Southampton have been a bit of a leader around looking elsewhere. I mean, it was only up to the summer. Their head of coaching was an ex-cricket cricket professional. So mm. things things are, there's bits going on. Um like, yeah, like there's there's the next opportunity. There's the next disruptor that comes in with something completely different. I certainly see it another, again, layers I talked about, go up a layer to coach developer. I think it's really yeah. powerful to have coach developers that come from other sports. My um, mind's done some stuff in boxing, never punched a guy, but could be a coach yeah. developer in boxing. So because you bring you bring a different lens, you can ask really stupid questions. Mm. Yeah. Re- you can ask why constantly. So, I was with a coach recently, and we were talking about warm-ups, and it was like, well, why'd you do it like that? And eventually the penny drops, they go, it's just what we do in our sport, right. So who's going to be the one that changes that then and make yeah. does something different? Who's going to find a new route? So, yeah, i I think a a good environment would include something from that is external to tradition, to the norm. I think my worry is when something goes wrong, people tend to revert back to type and they suddenly yeah. go, Right, we, we, we've gone too varied. We need football back again. We need to, and and actually, they, they forget that the innovation that they were after is probably most needed when things are going wrong.
3: <laughs> yeah. So that
2: might be a, a way of looking at. It. But it seems to be happening. The more, as I have sort of left the bubble of football so much, I've got into other sports, it's definitely something that happens more in other sports. Not always coaches, but definitely people around the sport tend to move sports more often. Football's definitely a bubble that we we tend to get stuck in, and we and we only look within we're not as happy to go wider i think um probably because the sport's so big it's got such a monopoly but um yeah there's definitely opportunities there to go and look at things with fresh eyes
1: i know just to add a bit more into that i suppose the example that the asker was given there's a there's a coach called pete cowan um who's coached some of the well he's, i can't remember how many major winners it is in the golf world but they were talking about the potential or he won't really comment on it but he's definitely worked with other sports people but it's mainly been in individual sports like golf um so they think maybe a tennis player here and there and other things do you think that i suppose in the case of pete cowan he's being tapped up to work with individual sports stars do you think there is much crossover between those individuals kind of sport focused coaches could they offer something to the team environment? I suppose.
2: Um, it depends what they bring, doesn't it? it depends what their yeah. skill set is. Sorry to not give a specific answer. No, the little, no, a little bit I was thinking about was coaching's coaching, yeah, right? Like it doesn't matter the context. If you're a good coach, you can probably manage, and, and also at the very top, it's a different relationship. The coach mm. isn't coaching in the traditional sense that we're probably all thinking of yeah. at the moment, they're looking for the next one percent without a cliche they're looking for the next opportunity and yeah. and it's far more they are wayfinding together they are exploring together it's a it's a very flat level relationship between coach and athlete at that level especially mm-hmm. in individual sports mm-hmm. um i think maybe again we're a little biased with what typically coaching in football looks like traditionally which is leader at the front all the ideas you do this you do that and uh, There's definitely changes going on there with around this idea of shifting the power hierarchy and going, no, we're level here and we're exploring together. And that would allow coaches to transfer sports because they wouldn't need to know the tech tack. The athlete knows that, Mm. but they would be able to ask the right questions or nudge in the right direction or create the environment that allows that athlete to flourish with what they know already. And again, this idea of a networker who's to say the coach has to have all the answers. Yeah. You Mm -hmm. look at tennis, they have coaching teams. They don't have an individual um so yeah maybe things are changing and there are the odd football has embraced the odd outside sport but th- th- yeah the media would say it doesn't end well i don't know i've never been close enough to one of those tonight
1: i've wood probably the most
2: yeah you got ben, ben ryan uh, um brentford doing some quite yeah. cool stuff from rugby sevens um so and yeah like there is logic and team team sports It's around managing a group of athletes of only yeah. which a few can play and a few can't every saturday there's yeah. similarities there no matter what sport you're in um especially now you know sports growing there's more opportunities in sport than ever now problem is there's more people that want them as well but there's there's more opportunities that that mean you don't have to be an expert in everything anymore mm. uh, a big part of being a um cody royal there's a name for her for a future podcast cody royal because i don't know if you read cody's books um the tough stuff is one of them it talks about the role of a head coach so he's, he's a he would suggest, well, I don't want to speak for him, but he's a coach developer, but only with the very, very head coach. And he talks about it being a very specific skill set, which is more around managing staff than coaching. Mm. Um, yeah, he'd be a cool guest for you.
0: Well, that, that's great, and uh, we'll, we'll look into that, because I, I suppose some of this is really linking to my own personal interest in people and people development. Um, like I said at the start of this podcast, I was on a mediation course last week. And that's because, you know, what I do now to earn my living is more around mental health and well being and how to. And it was fascinating to me to be on a mediation course, which, you know, is a great process because it's getting two people together in conflict to try and help them find and facilitate a resolution. And um, how do we do this? Well, the the, the best thing, because we talk about active listening a lot in different forms, but alert listening was something that came across to me. And how do I pick up on the subtext of someone's thoughts, feelings, emotions, uh, and then reframe that back to them? So what I'm hearing is this, is that accurate? Because sometimes what we say on the surface is not really what's underneath. And why does conflict come? Well, I started to think about courses and I started to think, well, actually, how much do we spend on effective comms? You know, how much do we say, you know, when I'm talking to this person, have I understood where they're coming from? Have I actually listened intently with, you know, purpose to then formulate what happens next? And, you know, through my own development experience, I would find not. I would find that people listen to um, try and give solutions or they listen to try and then shape it to what their narrative internally is to then go right what do i do so that mediation piece that bit where people are starting to go i'm genuinely here just to facilitate and listen to these people and try to support them to find a there's for me it's another layer of personal development because conflicts arise as we know for a variety of different things but it's usually down to poor communication poor understanding, misunderstanding, jealousy, these But How do these things manifest? How do they come about? And I think, do we invest enough time in those um, those protocols, those communication lines, that shared language that we need to for people to go, well, actually, we better understand each other now to then have those those challenging conversations when we need to, but they're facilitating in a way where people recognise it's not a personal critique, it's just how we're shaping it to get the best out of each
2: other. I was trying deliberately then to do it. It's what I'm working <laughs> on at the moment. So when you were saying things, I've got all these like thoughts like sparking up, and I'm trying to like suppress them to go, no, just listen. Mm. Um, I did some stuff last week with an amazing guy called Steve Rolnick around motivational interviewing. Yeah. Uh, and a big part of that is reflective listening. Very similar to what you've just talked about. It, it got me thinking about that. And it's something I am working on in conversations with coaches and coach developers around, how do I yeah, how do I listen to understand rather than just respond? The other bit it got me thinking about when you were talking about um, communication being su- such a little part of our learning as coaches, mm. because we learn what is measured. What's measured is tech-tack. So therefore, it's it's and, and we get it, don't we? we, we you've seen, it, I'm sure, coaches. We always have a competition with who who's the latest trend, the latest fashion of the game. We rarely, within a single sport, get into the the real nuances and skill of coaching, which is communication, relationships, rapport, trust, and on and on and on and on. Um, and it's funny that, isn't it? But again, we yeah. it's because we learn what we're assessed upon. Yeah, I mean, you wait for B. It, it is it, uh, that seems to be the underlying message I, I keep hearing from coaches and others. But it's how much, you know, tech tack. And Mm. and I'm not sure it is about that. That's important. It's not the only thing.
0: (laughs) I remember when I was made redundant from the FA, I did some pieces on LinkedIn. And what I said is if we're going to keep the levels one to five. You know, the first level should be 80 to 90 percent coach behaviours, all those things. When you go to two, it might go 60, 40. When you go three it might go 40 60 now tech tac is more folk and as you go up you might get to know the game more so actually for the broadest base of the pyramid it's more about your behaviors and how you interact as humans than it is about the game because the game will look after itself there you know let's get players on the pitch let them play and let's keep a a nice inclusive collaborative space where they, they work together when they need to go up the age groups and they may need to understand the game a bit better and you may progress onto the next layer or course, it's then, okay, how do we bleed in a bit more um, technical, tactical, still keep a really strong element of what's the next level of humanism, personal development and then again as it goes up to the highest ones we know that level 5 in football is more a managers course rather than technical tech. but level 4 would be then that's where you need to know 80 90% about the game and 10% well by then you've already got loads of great coach behaviors already embedded and you're just adding that additional element for that more you know advanced uh, stage of the game and I, I think there's 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 merit in trying to flip them like you say and just go well why do we focus on what do we focus on um where does it come from you know what shapes that narrative and going back to your point about the armed forces and going it's more about getting people organized and doing things rather than learning and going well what do we want the in landscape we'll use football because that's mainly our background the in landscape to look like at grassroots you know what? What do we want that environment to be? It should almost be a festival approach of let's just play and enjoy it uh, uh, to our maximum. What do you yeah. think on that, tight?
2: Just well, it, it it maybe we need to change the model completely. Maybe courses aren't even the right way. Yeah. So go back to this idea of build your own learning. I mean, I even struggle with the term CPD when ninety-five percent of volunteers mm, mm. it's not professional development. As volunteer development. That's different. Mm. if We change the language. We change the approach. Build your own qual. When you think you're at level two, if we still even want levels, come mm. for an assessment. But the assessment is on your patch with your players in your world, based around your context. Again, mm-hmm. easy to say, harder to do. I know. But that's if we were going coach centred. That's what we do. So the tech tack you, you can get tech tack wherever you want. It's on TV every Monday night for starters. So. Does the NGB have to hold all of that or actually should they focus on the coaching skills? Um mm. to, to help build the type of sport they want. You know, like you said, a festival approach at Young's, for example. Yeah. and um, we've not even gone on to the world of play and all that sort of stuff yet, which we happily could, but yeah, you know, do 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 children with the current structures of the way coaches are taught, do children play sport now? I'm not sure they play sport, but they do sport.
1: Yeah, I think you're right.
0: It feels a lot more formal to me when I see things. Um, And the hours some of these young people are dedicating Mm. to their own grassroots club, uh, a pre-academy, another academy that might add some additional stuff. It's all very structured. It's all very, you know, you might find pockets where it's more of a collaborative, let's do this, children. There's some stuff, play, create your own games. but. That's few and far between. You don't see that as the norm. It's more the outlier. Um, it's that, that bit where some coach has got their philosophy and they've started to go, this is what I think is important because I think it will produce or help produce players with more creativity and they go down that route. Or they're just there to say, I want to facilitate a learning environment for good players where there's no pressure. But it is, it is very few and far between that we come across that type of practice from my own experience
2: it's expectations again i was chatting to a swimming coach earlier today um who was saying that if, if, when a parent pays seven pound fifty for a swimming lesson seven pound fifty mm. by the way for a swimming lesson they expect to see their kids swimming front crawl yeah. like if you just chucked them in the water with a load of balls and equipment and went, go on <laughs> and have a laugh there might be some issues yeah. of course there might be some safety issues too so there's expectations of others there's tradition of what it's meant to be and within football there's a lot of people trying to earn money out of the game and yeah. the way they earn money at the game is by saying they produce, I hate the term, produce players, like nobody yeah. produces
3: players. <laughs> but
2: it's, so, yeah, there's a lot of, again, there's a lot of conflict within sport. Maybe if we, I suppose the angle I come from, and I'm completely biased, but maybe if I, the angle I came from, if we educated our coaches in a little more bespoke and individualised manner, actually help them with the context that they coach in, rather than generically taking them up levels, we might actually get some better understanding. the needs needs of the people they coach a little bit better um you know really what what does a a level one mum or dad on a sunday afternoon need some safeguarding Mm. football knowledge but they probably need more around child development than anything Mm. else oh and by the way you've done it once you never have to do it again even Mm. though your kids who are eight are now 16 and need something completely different from you (laughs) um and now just grunt at you rather than (laughs) like yeah we might have to say so if we went to that sort of membership licensing kind of version maybe we'd we'd have a better model where it is around continually getting better but do you
1: think something as you were saying like these vested interests or the or i think as you said there's, there's people making a lot of money out of uh well say football but also other sports do you think that is the major thing that's holding back going to like a more i suppose that more pragmatic approach that you've laid out really
2: so there's um i was in a meeting about this earlier today there's something called play their way might want to look it up it's um sport england funded program uk coaching kind of taking a bit of a strategic lead on it and it's around voice choice and journey and it's trying to help coaches understand that children have a voice we don't need to give them one they've already got one we need to listen to it um they are entitled to make choices, and it's their journey, not ours. Um, it's a bit like the, the She Can kind of movement. Um, similar mm-hmm. to that is a movement rather than a, a program, I suppose. The interesting bit we were talking about earlier in the meeting was maybe we need to get this in front of parents. So yeah. parents could start making educated decisions as to where they take their child for physical activity, for sport. So if you go along and you see a coach standing everybody in lines barking instructions at them telling them when and where they can move and can't move what to do constantly that's probably not the best environment for your child to fall in love with sport and yeah. at the moment i think society and the media probably tell parents the opposite mm-hmm. um, i mean i'd sit a little seven year old boy i'm in the playground and some of the mums and dads know that i work within sport and they're, they're asking me questions along do you think at the age of seven we should get him into a club now no Hmm. well really what yeah but surely the earlier he starts like well no actually there's nothing that says that and just interesting that yeah what what we're guided by and i think that's a societal thing i mean without going too deep it comes across from the states i did some stuff out in canada god i don't know eight years ago and um it's two thousand dollars a season to be a member at this club grassroots club two seasons a year 11 full-time staff and a million dollar indoor 3g grassroots club like that's that's not a sport for the masses anymore is it that's uh no. that's a, a middle upper class sport um hmm. so yeah maybe worryingly that's where we're going with sport in this country but um be all right if, if adults get in the way. Kids would be quite alright playing in the park without adults, as it used to be. We just get in the way sometimes.
0: Wasn't there a club not far from you, Salisbury Rovers or something yeah. like that, where they they have that sort of model where the kids shape a lot of what they do, and you know they pride themselves on that. And I think one of the people who runs it is always pushing that agenda to the FA to say, look. You know, why are we not getting a little bit more of these type approaches? So hopefully people will be chipping away with UK coaching, also throwing their weight behind Sport England. It will start to, you know, be shaped in that way where we're going, well, look, let's be coach centric. Let's be player centric. Let's try and help them um, just navigate this place and enjoy it and maximise it. Because we want as many playing for as long as possible, um, you know, any sport. We, yeah. we need to facilitate it. You know, how many young women, I'll, I'll say young women from my own development, who, who said they really disengaged with PE once they got to secondary school age. And you think, that's a crying shame. Why does that happen? Yeah. I don't know if it still happens or if things are improving. But you just think, to fall out of love with sport when you've enjoyed it at a younger yeah. age group, you just think, you know, that that's something that is quite hard to hear because uh, you think something happens there and if we could just negate that all the the benefits that we know come with being physically active um mm-hmm. you know then have that knock-on effect for them with their mental health and well-being and everything around relationships etc start to go from there so i'm just looking at the the, the clock dikes, and i'm mindful that you do have a, <laughs> well, well, an way more than yeah yeah um it's now, brilliant uh, uh, <laughs> we we usually ask people is there a, a moment in your career where you could pinpoint and you say I was most proud of that. That was something yeah. that gave me, you know, a really great
2: um great uh-huh.
0: feeling of pride.
2: We're, we're really I think we're so fortunate we get mm. to we get to coach. Like it's it's such a position of privilege. Uh there, there's one. Uh, I used that stands out there's loads, but there's one in particular. Uh, I used to coach the Dorset disability side. Um mm-hmm. just on the side as we as we do that you know, like we talked to earlier. Um and it was lovely. It was one of the most challenging environments I've ever coached in, but it was brilliant. Four-year-age brand, pan disability, so all sorts to deal with and manage and, and help thrive. And there was one lad called Jake, um, who is now a level three coach, coaching brilliant. at a professional club, um, who back then already was showing size, probably 14, 15, had him for a couple of years showing signs that he he could lead, he could um he could help others, he could support people. He was awesome. And yeah, when he walked in on a level two course six years ago, it was like that, that hit, that hit the mm. heart of like, oh my God, he was never going to be a footballer because to, you know, there isn't a version of that for him, or there wasn't at that time. Um, but he could still stay in love with the game. And not only that, he's now helping other people stay in love with the game. So yeah, that's a pretty good one. Pretty proud of him.
0: Yeah. Playing that small part in someone else's journey. Yeah, I think that does make a big difference, doesn't it? Because you do just connect with that and you go, you know what? I'm glad I had something or contributed in a positive way. It
2: shows that holistic bit. So, mm. yes, of course, I was trying to help him get it better at football. But I'm also trying to help him get better at being Jake. Mm. And I'd like to think the opp- some of the opportunities and some of the deliberately difficult situations that I put him in might have helped him go, that could be a route for me. And mm. so I hope. Well, He said similar along those lines, but I hope that was the sort of effect that we we try to have. Yeah, we're trying to help people, not footballers.
0: Yeah. Um, And also, is there a quote or statement or philosophy that you live by. Uh, we, we encourage people to share these because uh, for other people who are listening, they may not have come across any of these yeah. and uh, they can seek these out and go, actually, you know what? I quite like that. So is there anything that resonates with you around um something I'm glad, that drives glad,
2: you? I'm glad you gave me a heads up on the WhatsApp for this. <laughs> I'm, I'm not a big one for a quote. Uh, I don't know why. I, I I just yeah maybe a bit cynical of them sometimes. There is one though that I I I don't um I certainly don't live by, but I I I try to keep in mind in my kind of work life predominantly. Uh, I had to write it down. So um easy to work with, hard to please. Okay, yeah. So yeah. I, I, it comes from coaching again, relationships. Uh, like it's all about relationships, all about how we support each other, help each other be better. But that hard to please, I hope helps people to strive a little bit so yeah wh- i hope working with me is dead easy but i will ask i will ask stuff <laughs> of you to stretch it. That's, that's the hope but i know i'm not there that's what i'm trying to get to
0: yeah i like that one yeah
3: that's it, good it's, it's isn't it
0: yeah one. yeah because we've had more statements ever not we before yeah but that, that's one yeah that could be put on a t-shirt thanks Dites.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <get> <laughs> t-shirt. <laughs> um yeah so thanks
0: just, like I say, conscious of time because you do have to get off and go for I that in situ. Is yeah. It a, yeah. So um, uh, any any final thoughts from yourself, Dave, in relation to uh, this? To
1: what, what I was going to say as well is because I, I think our listeners will find this this whole time fascinating. And I know there'll be people that want to find out more about you or keep up to date with you. What's the best way for people to find out what 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 you're
2: up to? um probably uh linkedin or twitter something like that's probably so martin dighton I th- what am i on twitter at, uh at martin underscore dighton i think it is um okay. it's probably easiest way that way if it's something um yeah that's probably easiest way i would have thought if people think that's a, a worthwhile thing to do But I'm, well not. you know
1: we, <laughs> we the amount of questions we get from <laughs> listeners that want to just find out more about our guests so it's always good to to get the details because we always sometimes forget it and also a lot of our guests don't ever push forward with it and mm. we're open to you know whatever our guests want to promote or or to get attention to their social media channels you know we, we want to do that so uh, that's thank you for sharing those uh is there anything else that you'd like to share that you're going to be involved in or any events coming up that that you want to share with our listeners
2: um, I don't think so, majorly. If there's people out there in the world of, of coach education and coach development that want a bit of support, because a pretty, there's a pretty low level of support out there for that workforce. Yeah. Um, very little investment goes in. It's almost we'll interview you, we get you in, and then off you go. Um, mm-hmm. We've got some programs that are just about to start something called Learning Lab, which is for tutors and assessors, something called Coach Development Conversations, which is for coach developers. If people want to look me up on, say, Twitter or LinkedIn, I can give them the link, all free. Um, mm-hmm. And almost yeah, community is a practice where we get people together to discuss their, discuss the challenges they're facing, share share what they're up to, and then we get some pretty cool guests to come along and try and be a bit disruptive. Um, ah, go, yeah, sounds good. Have you thought about it like this and, and that sort of stuff. So yeah, if, if there's a workforce out there or, or if you're in that workforce that you would like to come and have a bit of free CPD, um, get in touch. I can link you into those quite happily.
3: Brilliant, that's, yeah. that's
2: excellent.
0: Well, well, guys, um I just want to say thanks very much for coming on yeah, today, mate. Um, yeah, I think you you've invested a lot of time uh, in yeah. in that, and uh, it's great. It's it's quick. It shows how fast it goes, doesn't it, once a conversation starts on uh, something that you're passionate about. And I think this is what our our podcast is all about, is getting people who can inspire others um, through their passion for what they do. Uh, And I I do really appreciate you coming on and just giving us the time. And we always feel, don't we, Dave, that we're only scratching the surface. Yeah. You know, so um, if in the future you'd ever like to come back and just give us some (laughs) more information um, about actually – more of the detail maybe around uh, your coach ideas, your coach development, etc. I'm sure people would want that, but, you know, there's no pressure to do it uh, short term. But if you want to re-come back to us, it would be amazing to have you uh, and your insights, because I think that's a a big thing for anyone listening. It's just to go, where is the future of coach development, coach uh, learning going? And, you know, how do I, you know, stay on top of that?
2: Yeah, I suppose we've gone a bit global today, haven't we? Like some big picture stuff. It'd be cool to maybe kick around. Like, yeah, what's the future of a a quality coach developer look like? Because it's it's changing. I think, and, this, and so many people are trying to shift from being a coach educator to a coach developer i think that's an interesting bit that we could kick about too but no thanks for having me normally people put the phone down way before an hour and a half so um <laughs> a
3: compliment thank you
1: no it's been it's been really good and, and as simon says we'd 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 l- gladly have you back so uh i'm sure we'll be reaching out in the future sure, but yeah. thanks again martin for all your time
2: no, thanks fellas